Good morning there. This is uh, Driving Theology on a rainy uh, June morning. How's everyone out there doing? Uh, if you haven't uh, listened to this podcast before, it's basically the ravings of a madman, uh, more or less. <laughs> uh, I just kind of uh, dialogue uh, and uh, it's very uncut. I don't really prepare ahead of time. Of course, I'm driving while I do this. That's one of the reasons I drive, so I can't I can't overly prepare, and therefore whatever comes out is, is something that is on my mind, something that um, I've been thinking about, and it's, it's, it's really as much uh, for me as it is for anyone else out there. I'm, I'm glad if somebody gets benefit out of it, but for me, uh, the benefit is that I get to just see how much what's in my head makes sense when it comes out my mouth. Uh, and that's, that's an important thing, I, I think, as a, as a person who to be someone who spreads the gospel or who tells people about Jesus, uh, who wants to uh, help people understand better the, the kingdom of God, uh, I think it's good that we uh, make sense, <laughs> that, that what we say uh, matches, number one, the truth, and, and number two, what it is in our head that we want to say, that we believe or think. And so, driving theology is a way for me to be busy enough that I can't uh, cheat on that. There's really no way for me, uh, especially when I'm by myself, to look up notes. Well, no safe way. I guess I could text and drive. (laughs) Uh, Bad idea. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Thanks for uh, joining with me on this little trip that I take every week. Um, this uh, next week I'm on the way to, to Thailand for a uh, five-day men's renewal retreat uh, called Come Before Winter and this is the uh, pilot uh, program for men. It's, it's existed for women for many years now and my wife has been involved in that uh, and she got such benefit in, in such benefit from it and she she felt very renewed from it that she encouraged me uh, when the men's program came online to to be a part of the first program so yeah I'm off to Chiang Mai Thailand it'll be my first uh, second time in Thailand first come before winter of course since it's the first one but my second time in Thailand and uh, yeah I'm a little bit apprehensive about it I uh, uh, I'm gonna be a little bit of a fish out of water, I'm afraid. Now I know, the, the good thing is I know several people that'll be going to this. And uh, I used to be a member of the denomination that most of the guys who are running it are from. Which is fine. Uh, I'm. It's not that I'm not a member of that church anymore, it's that my my theology uh, 
this time makes it hard to recognize individual groups because I feel like we do that at, at the expense of recognizing the group entire, uh, the, the church entire, and so I'm really convicted that we need to stop looking so small and, and focusing on the things that divide us and, and really let Jesus dictate who his body is. basically for ministers uh, and missionaries uh, who uh, yeah want to renew and it's it's in English that's a that's a benefit uh, something that you know here in Japan maybe we don't get quite as often we usually don't get to uh, worship as much or communicate about the word as much in our native language and that's a that's a huge benefit um, as far as I know, only three people are going from Japan, uh, and I know the other two, uh, which is great. Um, yeah, so of course I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, I, like I said, I'm a bit apprehensive. Uh, first of all, because I feel like I've gone beyond uh, the major tenets of uh, my former denomination, uh, maybe to the point where they might be a little bit uncomfortable. But you know, I, I, I really don't want to stir up any trouble. I, I'm going there to be renewed, not to, not to uh, indoctrinate or, or try.
trying to convince people that my way is right. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's apprehension there. I can't deny that. There's, there's just a bit of apprehension as to whether I will fit in with this group. Uh, the good thing is one of the guys going with me uh, is also not of that group. And he's, he, he, but he's no closer to me than, than he is to them. So as far as our, especially ecclesiology, that's kind of where we're, we're getting separated, I would say. Less, less so the major theology and more so the ecclesiology. What it means to be church. What it means to be the body of Christ. And if you followed this podcast, you know that that's kind of something that I keep coming back to. Um, because theology is all well and good, but it all boils down to some kind of ecclesiology, some kind of church life, some kind of way that we live uh, in the truths, in the theological truths that are out there. Um, so theology is, it's a fact, you know, we all have some opinion on uh, God and, and the supernatural and the Godhead and all that stuff. Uh, but just as much as theology uh, is, uh, so is ecclesiology, because that's how it works out. That's how theology works out on the ground, so to speak. Um, it's like, you know, it's like math, I suppose. Math on paper uh, would be kind of like theology, whereas, you know, uh, seeing if you have enough money to, to, to buy groceries would be uh, math, you know, on the ground. You know, how do you use math? Um, so, yeah, uh, the great thing about this that really I'm excited about is that they've decided to focus on the Gospel of Luke, and where we have been, uh, in our ecclesiology, uh, has been focused on the Gospels the last, um, well, a year and a half almost now. We spent, we spent one year, well, we spent, let's see, a, a quarter, a quarter going through Mark, a quarter going through Matthew. We took six months on Luke. And now it looks like, just the way the pace has slowed down, we're probably going to take a year on John. And so we're in the middle, we're in the middle of John. Uh, I, I'd like to finish in a year. We probably need to speed up a bit even to finish John in a year. Uh... But, you know, as I've talked about before, I, I, I think I can see this in, in, in uh, my, my old denomination. I can see it in evangelicalism in general. And I can really see it any time that legalism comes to the forefront. Uh, what has happened is that we have taken Paul without Jesus we have uh, we, we've we've taken what Paul has said and used uh, the things he has said without without taking them through the Jesus filter uh, what we've assumed is that Jesus well we I don't know if we would verbally say that we've assumed this but what has happened uh, what has happened uh, in practice is that we've assumed that Paul went on from Jesus, that Paul uh, 
was an extension or a, a it almost looks like we take him as a better version of Jesus because uh, just the way things have worked out, Paul has such a large body of work. He says so many things, especially uh, if you take his larger books, the book of uh, Romans uh, and the two Corinthian books. There's just a lot of stuff. There's, And it's all his words, unlike the Gospels, where we have uh, nar narrative, narration, but then we have the quotes of Jesus. Paul's letters are, are all Paul. And he says a lot. You know, he wrote a lot. And then you take all the other epistles and just the volume of work that we have that Paul said is much larger than the volume of, of Jesus, the volume of work uh, that um, is about Jesus. And so, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've taken Paul and forgotten about Jesus. And I know we don't mean to do that, but somehow we have this idea that Jesus is elementary, that he's remedial, that he's... He's, uh, you know, a workout. He's a warm-up. But Paul is the real deal. Paul's the, Paul's the, uh, you know, the, the game, the match. Uh, Paul, Paul's the, 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 the real deal. Whereas Jesus was just the precursor to that. And what happens then is you make Jesus a John the Baptist to Paul. That Jesus was clearing the way for Paul. And that is dangerous theology I think that that's a dangerous thing to do and again I don't think we'd ever say that I don't think we would say that just as John the Baptist uh, came to prepare the way for Jesus that Jesus came to prepare the way for Paul of course we wouldn't say that I'm just saying that it looks like that's how it works out way too often way too often especially in certain denominations uh, uh, so yeah, so where we've been is uh, focusing on the Gospels, and and it's kind of hard to see what kind of impact that has had uh, on us and on me individually. I, I'm not sure, um, but I know the, the, the type of impact I hope it has. I hope it what it brings back to the Gospel, what it restores to the gospel of the kingdom of God that both John the Baptist and Jesus and Paul were proclaiming uh, is freedom, freedom in Christ. Uh, I hope that it restores the headship of Jesus to his church. Uh, I hope that it uh, helps us get to know God the Father better by getting to know God the Son better. I hope that we become closer to the heart of Jesus by restoring him to his rightful place uh, in the kingdom, which is on the throne. Uh, you know, the gospel of the kingdom, what made it such great news is that the Lord was returning himself to reclaim the throne of Israel and thereby provide salvation for the people of Israel and the entire earth. Uh, that's the good news. The good news is Jesus is back on the throne. Paul is not on the throne. Peter is not on the throne. Uh, the Pope in Rome is not on the throne. Uh, nor is
as uh, you know Benny Hinn or uh, Rick Warren uh, or Frank Viola or uh, you know N.T. Wright all of these numerous guys who are doing wonderful work right now well with some exceptions in that list uh, who are doing wonderful work but who are under the authority of Jesus himself as we all are as was Paul as was Peter as was James uh, Augustine and, and you know all of the all of the church fathers we we are all under the authority of Jesus whether we acknowledge that or not you know the question is is that how the church is operating are we operating as if Jesus is in charge you know and this goes back to the the control versus in charge uh, argument you know is God in control or is he in charge and and uh, you know I like the the idea that God although he could be in control if he wanted to he chooses to be in charge he chooses to work through influence uh, and through pleading uh, and, and leading by example, uh, he chooses to lead that way, and for us to make our own choices to follow him or not. Uh, so, yeah, um, what I've found more often than not, and I, and I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope that I find, I find uh, that I'm surprised. I, I hope I find that 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 these these men who uh, I'm going to be meeting with are led uh, by Jesus himself uh, that's that's what I hope to find uh, and I hope they find that in me um, more often than not <laughs> a lot of us we found we're, we're led by Paul and Paul taken out of the context of Jesus is is just a bit dangerous uh, it can be a bit legalistic, but we forget just how intimate Paul's relationship was with Jesus, and that he never intentioned, he never intentioned, he never intended for for his work to be taken out of the context of Jesus. You know, if you read uh, Ephesians and Colossians, especially the first the first chapter of Colossians, you will see just how much Jesus meant to Paul, and how deep his understanding was uh, and just how close his relationship was with Jesus and we all need to start at that point before we take Paul we all need to, to understand Jesus before Paul which is why the Gospels come before the epistles and even Acts comes before the epistles I'm, I'm glad that the, the founding fathers did it that way even though apparently Galatians at least precedes the Gospels, quite possibly. Uh, but they understood that Jesus is to be understood first before Paul. Uh, whether they did that consciously or not, I can't tell you. But, you know, maybe that's the Holy Spirit's hand in the uh, canonization of Scripture. Um, so, yeah. Uh, 
I would encourage, and I've done this before in this podcast, but man, I just can't say it enough. I would encourage everybody to immerse themselves in the Gospels, immerse themselves in Jesus. Uh, really take the time to understand the Savior before going on to his apostles. Um, so, yeah, going on to this renewal, we're going to be focusing in Luke. Uh, and so we've been asked to read Luke before we go, which, of course, we did it last year in my group, but I did read Luke again. But I decided to go on to Acts. I've never read Luke and then Acts uh, in succession before. So I read a little bit of Acts last night, uh, which happened to be the end of uh, the speech of Stephen and into the uh, dispersion of the believers uh, throughout uh, Judea and, and uh, the Roman Empire, uh, which began with uh, basically the stories of Philip, who uh, was one of my favorite favorite characters in Acts. He's, he's pretty special. Uh, there's not a whole lot that's talked about him. But you know, Philip was one of the one of the guys who was uh, who was created a deacon when the apostles got lazy and decided not to wait on tables, as they said, uh, as Jesus probably would have done had he been there. But they they made the decision to to let the uh, deacons become servants, and then the deacons, strangely enough, became the ones who were on the forefront of the work of, of Jesus, that they they were filled with the Spirit and they did some amazing things. Uh, first, Peter, who, who, although he got himself killed, preached one of the most powerful and memorable sermons that you'll ever hear. Uh, and then Philip, Two of the two of the seven, uh, two of the seven, yeah, deacons who were asked to uh, oversee the uh, food distribution for the uh, widows, both Jew and Greek or Gentile, if you will. Uh, so Philip, um, first of all, we hear of him being uh, appointed deacon, and then we hear of him. Uh, on the road to Gaza, uh, the Gaza road, which is a desert road, it says. Uh, one of my favorite stories, really, uh, and I, I got really deep into it, I'd say about 15, 16 years ago, uh, in my, the first, uh, I would say the first enlightenment, my first spiritual enlightenment as an adult when I was about 30. Anyway, Philip struck me as as, ama as an amazing story because, you know, Philip uh, is instructed to go and he goes. The, f the Spirit tells him where to go and he goes. Not knowing why, not knowing what. And when Philip gets there, he awaits further instruction. And the Spirit gives it to him and he obeys it. He finds the Ethiopian riding on a chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah. Uh, from, I want to say, the 52nd chapter of Isaiah, it could be 51, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, but it was the, you know, uh, as, a, as a sheep is led 
before Shears is silent, so uh, he did not utter a word, or he was silent, uh, and like a lamb being led to the slaughter. So the Ethiopian eunuch, who is just coming back from Jerusalem, who had been reading the uh, Isaiah scroll as he drove, uh, Philip overtakes him. asks the uh, Ethiopian if he understood what he reads and he says how can I unless somebody help me unless somebody you know guide me and so Philip joined him in the chariot helped him to understand preached to him Jesus and the eunuch believed and remember we were on a desert road and suddenly there's water oh well look just when you believe there happens to be water I I, I, I like to think that that was miraculous water that God provided there that the, the Holy Spirit uh, prepared in advance of knowing that Philip was going to uh, obey him and that the eunuch was going to believe. And so anyway, they said, you know, the, the eunuch says, what, stop, what stops me from being baptized? And Philip said, nothing at all. And so Philip baptized him. Now here's where Ecclesiology kind of comes into this story. Um, Philip baptized him. Philip taught him. Philip baptized him all by the leading of the Spirit. But Philip had nothing to do with his church life from then on out. And so Jesus did not require of Philip to stay with and to continue teaching the Ethiopian eunuch. In fact, he apparently transported Philip from that spot. Philip was taken away, it says. Philip was gone. Philip disappeared from the scene. And the eunuch went on rejoicing. Right? So from that point, the eunuch is a lone believer. He is, he is a baptized believer. He is part of the body of Christ. Uh, he believes... He understands the gospel as it is told to him by Philip, but he goes on alone with nobody but the Spirit to, to you know, to help him. Uh, nobody but whoever the Spirit provides for him in his future to guide him into maturing as a part of the body of Christ, as a disciple of Jesus. Nobody to disciple him. Philip did not disciple him. Okay, that's amazing. Now, you know, we, we've been told, at least here in Japan, that if you baptize somebody, you are responsible for them. So don't baptize them if you're not ready to be responsible for them. If you're not ready to disciple them. If, so don't, don't bring them into the body unless you are going to take responsibility uh, for their discipleship. And I, man, I... I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's bad for somebody to want to baptize somebody and then to disciple them. I just think as soon as you make that a rule, you have added to the word of scripture because clearly that didn't happen with Philip. Clearly. And there are other, other instances where people are baptized and come to believe where we have no you know, no, nothing written at all that says they 
that that's how they came into the church that that's you know that that's that was required of somebody um, to you know for baptism that unless unless you have a church that you can become a member at that you're going to go to regularly that you're going to tithe to then you are denied baptism I man I just don't see that in Acts and what are you going to say that the Holy Spirit can't do what he did in Acts now are you really going to limit the work of the Holy Spirit to your understanding of a book well if, if you can do that in good conscience then more power to you uh, and, and here again, I'm not saying it's bad to take responsibility for somebody, but there are situations that come along where baptism and the ability of a person to be assimilated into a group of believers do not come together. And the question is, do you not baptize them then? Do you withhold baptism from them? Philip didn't. Not only did not did Philip not do it, the Spirit did not do it. The Spirit took control of that person. And I think this is the this is the reality that we need to face. We are not in control of any of the people we baptize, even if we commit to discipling them for a time. We're still not in control of them. We are still not the main teachers of them. Jesus himself is. The Spirit himself leads and guides them. Now we may, you know, we may help out here and there, but, you know, we need to be careful. We, we, uh, th those people that we bring to Christ are people that Christ was already leading to them, and we just did our part, and we do not own them. Okay, we, we do not own them at all. And to take possession of that which is not ours is theft. Uh, we are simply stewards. We are servants. Uh, we are uh, certainly a part of the process, but we need to be careful when we when we try to take ownership of somebody. And I'm guilty of this as well. You know, people that I've led uh, to Christ have have gone on to um, listen to other teachers and other people and sometimes I get a, a tinge of fear or jealousy you know that happens and I try to fight that but at the end of the day they don't belong to me they belong to Jesus and, and I need to, to humbly accept that fact uh, and, and trust Jesus to do all that is needed to bring them to full maturity in Christ and himself Yes, I may have a job to do in that, but here again, it's just, it's just obeying. It's, 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 it's not ownership. Uh, so, yeah, um, we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll do a driving theology while in Thailand to interview a, a friend or something like that, driving to or from the venue, uh, which would be fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hopefully I can do that. We'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, so yeah, just to recap, uh, 
going to Thailand, um, kind of apprehensive about what might happen there, hoping to find uh, that Jesus is leading uh, the men of God there, as well as hoping to find, uh, hoping that they see that in my life as well. Uh, because that's that's the game, folks. That's that's what it means to be a mature Christian, to be pliable in the hands of the potter, to be uh, to be uh, uh, to, to consent to the will of the Lord uh, and, and to surrender, to surrender our lives to be used by our Lord for the uh, for His kingdom for his glory and we take no glory glory belongs to Jesus completely uh, the church belongs to Jesus completely you know we're just bricks and mortar uh, in this in this building that he is he is uh, erecting and uh, yeah so the other part of that was uh, just um, really make your home in Jesus, make your home in Jesus, in the Gospels, and allow the Gospels to to lead you through the epistles, uh, through the Old Testament, through the books of prophecy, allow Jesus to uh, be seen in all of that by knowing him and following him. As he is presented to us through the Holy Spirit in the Gospels and it will go well with you it will go well with you I really believe that it will uh, you will find maturity in Christ by focusing on Jesus uh, by knowing him you know Paul said I, I want to know Christ and the power of his rising rising, share in the suffering, and be conformed by his death. Knowing Jesus, uh, Paul said, is, is worth more than everything else. Everything else is rubbish in comparison with, in comparison with knowing Jesus. So, I, uh, I want to submit to you that that is the goal of my life. I'll verbalize that to you. I'll also uh, confess that I'm failing miserably in that, that it's a struggle. I know the truth, I know that that's what I should be doing, but it's tough. And it's so easy to be pulled back into legalism, it's easy to be pulled into uh, liberalism, to libertinism. So somewhere between legalism and libertinism, that's where we'll find the heart of Jesus. Where we follow his commands because we love him, not because we're trying to earn his way. And where we don't take advantage of his grace by indulging in sin willfully. That's where I long to be. And uh, yeah, I'm just about to my destination. My time is just about run out. And so that is my prayer for uh, 
his believers everywhere that we learn to exist in the uncomfortable limbo that is between legalism and libertinism from obeying the law just so we can earn our way to heaven or uh, indulging in sin just because God's grace is so complete and overwhelming. Uh, that's where you'll find Jesus, and I pray that that's where you find me, and I pray that that's where I find you. Peace be with you.